When you go to Texas State, there's never a shortage of things to do. From engineering and opera to esports and fencing, we have it all and more. Listen to our new podcast, Try at Texas State, to learn more with me, Giselle, about the kind of organizations and programs that make Texas State so special, and to take a deep dive into niche subjects that find its way into our everyday lives. Listen on Apple Music or Spotify, and episodes release every other Wednesday. Hi everyone, my name is Giselle Kowalski and I'm the Digital Marketing Strategist here at Texas State University. You're listening to Office Hours and today I'm here with Adriana. Adriana, what's up? Hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good. So you got to speak with Ben Reed, who is a creative writing professor. How did that go? Really awesome. I think this is one of my favorite interviews I've done thus far. He's very relatable in a lot of ways and um, very interesting career journey, to say the least. Yeah, and he's also very funny and when we interviewed him, he had his birthday that day yes. so we happy belated yeah happy birthday Ben we hope you had a good time Ben yeah hopefully yeah <laughs> awesome so we hope you enjoyed this conversation between Adriana and Benjamin Reed So to start us off, what's your name? What do you teach and where are you from? My name is Ben Reed. I teach creative writing, literature. I teach other writing classes as well. Where I'm from is, is the hardest question. Uh, born in Houston. Family is from San Antonio and Austin. I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, partially because my dad was in the Navy. Came back here for college. I went to UT mm-hmm. in the late 90s and early aughts. And I've been in Austin since, been in Austin since 98. So I can say I'm from here now, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. For an icebreaker, what's the last thing that made you laugh super hard? My my kids, my I can't remember a specific thing, but my kids crack me up all the time. They're very performative. So what was it like when you grew up? My mom worked for only part of my childhood, but you know, we were left alone a lot. We would explore. I grew up on an island in the San Francisco Bay called Alameda, kind of near the water. And so we would go kind of just muck around in the mud and go hunting for crabs. And it's weird. You just grow up going to the beach every day. It's not, you know, if you're from Galveston, it's probably the same thing. What was your first job? My first job, my first gig, I think it had to have been selling hot dogs at the Stanford Stadium. Uh, my first job uh, was as a caterer. Uh, I was a waiter and a caterer for a catering company, kind of a upscale catering company. And so I did that on and off for several years uh, before I moved back to Texas. And so uh, that was interesting because uh, the pay was really good. It's also interesting to be 18 or 19 years old and have seen 300 weddings. There's no like, there's no mystery. Mm-hmm. There's no romance. How'd you know you wanted to be in the major you chose? Probably by the time I was about 14, realized that sort of my game was was books and living in books and writing. It's one of those things where we, in, in my field, I'm sure we'll get to this. I have an MFA, which is a master's in fine arts and writing. And there's this perennial evergreen conversation about talent and is talent real? And can creative writing be taught? And people take sides in this debate. I think that talent probably is real. A lot of it has to do with luck, though, so it's really hard to sort of talk about it in quantitative material terms. But you end up sort of like gravitating towards what you're already good at. Mm -hmm. If I'm being honest with myself, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be an artist. But, you know, I'm six foot five now. I was always the biggest kid. I couldn't really control my hands. All of my friends were better drawers than I was. But I could write well. And so I was like, I'll do that. And, uh, you know, I was already kind of good at language. My mom's 
speaks only in metaphor. Um, she just is constantly speaking this most poetic language. She has no college degree. Mm-hmm. She's first generation American. Her father came from a country that doesn't exist anymore. And she just has this gift for good vernacular, kind of working class American West Coast English. She's from San Diego. And I was just given books a lot growing up. Nice. So you mentioned you went to UT for your bachelor's, right? Yeah, I got my Bachelor of Arts from the University of Texas. Uh, I was a mid-year transfer, so I started in spring of 98, and I graduated uh, right after 9-11, so December 2001. It was a really interesting time. And again, because I took that year and a half off, and I was already a little bit older for my grade, so I was like 24 mm-hmm. when I actually got my diploma. I just turned 24, so I was on the older side as well. And your MFA, where'd you get that from? Here. Here, okay. Yeah, we have an excellent MFA program here. It's a three-year writing program, and I had a really good cohort. I got really lucky with my classmates. If you go to an MFA program, it's often seen as a sort of a, uh, a luxury. It's sort of some sort of like thing that privileged rich kids get to do, which is substantially accurate. However, with the Texas State, it's a three-year degree, so it's not just studio arts where you're sitting around doing workshop and workshopping your short stories, and then you go knock off and go to the bar, and then rinse and repeat. We, we take theory courses, critical theory courses. We take literature courses with our masters, our MA Lit cohort, and, and, and those faculty. We work on the journal, and we can take some other cognitive classes that, that branch out a little bit away from sort of the more elitist liberal arts stuff that a lot of MFA programs sort of cater to. Was that one of the challenges going into that, or was, was there other challenges in college that you found? For undergrad or grad school? Because Either, two, yeah. Because uh, they were separated by nine years for me, so I, had, I was a radically different person. Undergrad was tough because I had just moved back to Texas, and even though I had roots and, and family here, it was a weird time because I wasn't quite prepared for it. I was kind of going not really realizing it at first, but sort of going through a long distance breakup. Uh, I also, because I sort of restarted my college career, the irony is, is that I had been to several countries. I've been to like Russia, Kazakhstan. I've been all over the world. I had had a real big boy job. I had my own car, had my own money, had my own credit cards. I was all kind of established. Ironically, I found out at UT that I was not emotionally mature enough to be a full-time college student because I'd sort of like never done that because I went to this commuter school while working on the on the docks and so I never had this like do your homework go to bed dummy you have class in the morning I would just I would just be like oh no all my friends are going out to the show and so I would just go to the show and then 8 a.m. would roll around. I'd be like, nah, I'm not getting out of bed. And of course, my GPA suffered and I was on uh, academic probation. Mm-hmm. That was my arc at UT was academic probation to Dean's List. I, ma- I managed to make that transition in four years. So That's awesome. So now we're going to get into like the now of it all. So where you are now, you write short fiction and novellas and you teach literature and creative writing. What was it like getting into this industry and how do you keep pushing for this dream? I was sort of doing it already. That's kind of why I came to get my MFAs. I wanted to get better at writing. I'd already published a couple stories uh, by the time I got here. And yeah, I just wanted to take it more seriously. What had happened over that intervening years before coming here for graduate school and graduating Texas with my BA is that I was sort of bouncing back and forth between these really good food service jobs, mostly bartending, because I couldn't turn down the money. That's what I did in college as an undergrad. I just got sucked into it. And I would try to break away and I would do little bits, uh, little gigs here and there. Like I would do copywriting. I would work for standardized testing company, writing essay questions for seventh grade. And then I would just kind of get pulled back into bartending and stuff like that. And it was just this cycle. And I was just, you know, had this moment of clarity where I'm like, this is, uh, this is as far as this is taking me. This is as far as this bachelor's degree and my experience and my situation is going to take me. And by that point, I was married, owned a home in Austin. I wasn't going anywhere. And so my uh, my grad school options were basically completely reinvent myself or 
uh, follow what I'm already doing. And so I applied here and I got in. And so I was just basically continuing what I wanted to do. I didn't actually know I wanted to teach. The fact that I've been teaching for the last 10 years as a full-time senior lecturer is surprising to me. It's every single day. I walk into this office, I'm like, man, what happened? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm very happy with where I am. Yeah, yeah. But if, for me, it's very hard. Like, for you to ask me how to trace how I got here from there, it's sort of like I would, I would have to, like, draw on some storytelling and sort of, like, connect these dots in maybe a fictive way that sort of makes sense because it doesn't necessarily make sense. But in terms of like sticking with writing and publishing, I get rejection letters all the time. It's mostly rejection. Mm -hmm. It's mostly rejection. I've had agents that are not my agents anymore. You have to cope. You have to have strategies. But if all of your strategies are negative and self-defeating, you're going to have to like find a different path or get very, very lucky. So how do you get your ideas for your stories? Is there any like media or person that kind of inspires you? There's a couple, there come a couple different ways. Like there's ideas that sort of nag at me that I, that I carry around for years and years and years. And then I develop. And then there's things that sort of just pop at me like out of the blue. You're seeing something and being unsatisfied with the way it's executed is a really good source of inspiration. Uh, but then sometimes w weird things happen. Uh, one of my more successful stories is called The Way In. And it was inspired, I was standing outside of Flowers Hall uh, 10 years ago. We're not supposed to call it Quidditch anymore, but we have like a Quidditch team. And so this young woman was walking by in her Quidditch robe, but she was like glum and she had her backpack on over her robe. And it was this weird, just visual contradiction. And she was like kicking her robe out with these like aqua colored tennis shoes, but she's wearing this like bright festive robe like she was in a choir or something. And uh, I ended up publishing the story and I got nominated for a Pushcar Prize. It's called The Way In. And so this is a sort of social science fiction story where everyone whose BMI goes over a certain amount has to wear a robe mm. until they get it back down to like a healthy weight. And it's a story about like toxic uh, body image culture, what's going on in the United States with our fluctuation between being like nominally pop body positive, but also being super, super critical of people's appearances when it comes in certain categories. And, and living that contradiction, as we all do in this country, of being sort of big people who are obsessed with like beauty but that contradiction of being sort of like glum but dressed festively for some somehow in my mind came out as a story as a contradiction between being sort of like body positive but also self-erasing the only thing i've ever heard that's resonant of my experience is when somebody says they mishear a lyric in a song and then go write that song. That's like my process a lot. I think if you're if you're making something and you don't know what it is, I think that's a really good place to be in because then you you know that you've sort of left the realm of emulation. That's cool. I definitely feel like I do that and I always feel bad for doing that but it's like that's what makes my art mine is like the combination of all the things that I'm seeing put into my work. In an interview you said that your students are between the ages of 18 to 20 and quote they've just made the tremendous terrifying leap from a small noble world into a cosmos of uncertainty. What was that leap like for you and how does it shape what you teach? The beginning of my career the first five years the first half of my current career at Texas State where I was teaching more freshman comp so 1310, 1320 a little bit of tech writing but I honestly I don't think about myself in college as much as when I think about myself in high school. I, those are kind of when I encountered a lot of the ideas that are part of our curriculum for those lower division classes, rhetoric, argument. And I just try to remember how like, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what anything meant. I didn't know why it mattered. I just knew that I was interested in some things and, and not other things. And so that's where I try to meet my students. As an instructor, I think if you are sort of forcing your students to learn stuff, they'll be like, here, this is important. Learn this. See how these things are connected? We already kind of lost the game because your best case scenario is your students are arriving at observations and making connections on their own. You just want to sort of steer them into a position to where they can sort of make connections between like their communications class, their art history class, and be like, oh wait, I see some of the same themes happening across place and time. Oh my God, these same things happening to me. Oh my God, I'm contributing while consuming it. So finally, if you could go back and tell your college self one thing, what would it be? I guess the real answer is think about the future a little bit more. I've always been, or I've always wanted to be kind of a romantic person who's very much invested in the present mm -hmm. and who doesn't sort of 
overplan things. But like when I was in undergrad, I had people who wanted me to go MFA. I was Elizabeth Harris, one of my writing teachers at UT. She was like, you're just going to MFA, right? Because your stories are really great. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And I don't care. No, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to travel the world. I should have just listened to people and said like, what is this future you're talking about? What are the different things I could do there? Because I think you should be present and you should be invested in this moment, but it doesn't mean you can completely go out of scale and only care about the here and now and never just never think for tomorrow because like tomorrow is a place where you're probably going to be there be here now be present but also think that like your, your future is going to be your future present and so maybe pay that visa bill and, and maybe when people want to mentor you and get you into a good graduate program maybe you should listen to them instead of starting from scratch nine years later that's perfect that's all so thank you well, thank you this was fun appreciate it this was a lot less uh, painful than i thought it would be just a little combo you did a great job this is great thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of Office Hours. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Make sure you tune in next time to learn more about the experiences of our amazing Texas State faculty. Also, remember to follow us on our social media at TXST. This podcast is a production of the Division of Marketing and Communications at Texas State University. Podcasts appearing on the Texas State University Network represent the views of the host and guests, not of Texas State University. Once again, I'm Adriana, and I'll see you next time.